Good morning. I love the saying that says, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. I think, Lord willing, we're going to be taking a break from First Timothy for the month of December at least and uh, trying to maybe have our hearts focused on the incarnation of Christ. Um, I'm always in, whenever I uh, sing that song, What Child Is This, one of my favorite Christmas carols, it means so much to me because I think it's just, it's a question, like what child is this? Um, there was so much about the Christmas story that we weren't expecting to happen that way. And it should cause us to kind of stand in awe. And in my own life, I've been really trying to focus again on just um, not necessarily worried about what I have to do next or um, what I have to clean up, but just to stand in awe for a little bit of what I already know, what I already know. And so uh, to, to not let what we've been told over the years get dull, but to really just stand in awe especially during this Christmas season, of who He is, how He came, and uh, what He has done. So with that in mind, I think today I would like to just briefly talk about some of the things that have always made me kind of stand in awe during the Christmas time. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, por favor. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 22, it says this, Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for coming to earth. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever understand uh, what it was like for you to be um, God in spirit, the creator of all, and then create for yourself a body. And to, uh, I don't even know if an entrapped by it is the right word, but Lord, that you would become dependable on those you have created and, and uh, be inside the womb of a woman uh, for months. Lord, just things are too lofty and high for us to think about. So we just want you to do a mighty work this morning where you would, uh, by your spirit, control the room and let us just clearly see what you'd have to tell us today, that we would understand that there is something that you would have to say to each one of us, um, especially me, that you would uh, be the ultimate teacher and that we would leave here knowing that we heard a word from the Lord this morning, and that it might encourage us and give you honor and praise for it. So, Lord, that is our desire, that you are completely lifted up the highest, that you are the one that we proclaim is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so we just simply want to talk about the one who has saved us and just give you credit for it. Thank you so much. In your name, amen. might not seem too wondrous to you, 
Luke chapter 2 and verse 22. Uh, but for me, it's always been very, very interesting what this is. Now, um, in verse 21, it says, When eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This is about a month later. So Jesus is about a month old. Okay, and let's look at what this actually means, the days of her purification. So turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 12. We'll start there in verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity she shall be unclean. On the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification thirty-three days. She shall not touch any hallowed or holy thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled." Okay, what is the wonder of it? By law, Mary here is not to touch any holy thing for 33 days. She is, in fact, holding the Holy One in her arms. She is, in fact, in the presence of God. Uh, nothing more holy than the Christ child himself, and she is not to touch anything that's holy. Just, again, the theology of it all, I'm not sure how it all works, but I know that the, the birth of Christ has allowed the unholy to become holy. Through Jesus' birth and death and resurrection, we have people who are far from holy, have the ability to be holy. I want you to just again have our minds focused on not touching anything that has been consecrated or set apart for God's work. All these pictures in the Old Testament of the whole sacrificial system in the temple all pointed to Him. The reason you had this rule is to actually point one day to Him. To say, hey, this is a, a holy thing. When you come into the temple, when you come into the sanctuary, you better be clean. You better be holy. You're going to be before an almighty, righteous God. And here Mary's holding God in her arms. It's an amazing thing. That we have now been given the opportunity to even call ourselves holy. In 1 Corinthians 3, 17, it says, If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy them. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Which temple you are. We remember in 1 Peter there, it says, You are a holy nation, set apart, a royal priesthood. How is it that we get to claim that we are holy now? God has done an amazing thing by sending Himself to the earth. The holy child. We sing songs like, O holy night. Set apart, completely different. 
She was also not allowed to go into the sanctuary. Remember all the pictures of the Old Testament there. You had an outer court where there was the altar, and then you had that kind of other covered-up area, and inside was things we've talked about before, like a lampstand and a table of showbread and an altar of incense. She's not allowed to go near that stuff by Levitical law. She's unclean. Isn't it interesting? She would not be allowed to go into an area where there is a symbol of a table of showbread, a symbol of fellowship and communion with God. And yet she's the one feeding him. She is the one who is not allowed to have incense, which would be uh, a symbol of prayer or communicating with God. But she's talking to him all the time as a mom. She's not allowed to go near the lampstand, but she's probably the one lighting the candle so she can simply see how to take care of him. It is very interesting, this whole portion, to me, and I just, I really do kind of stand in awe, not allowed to touch the sacred things, even though she's holding the Christ child. On a simplest note, this kind of happens in my house every Christmas day. I don't know how you guys do it, but kids wake up, Kim and I wake up, and they have to stand at the doorway of my hallway until we give permission to go into the living room where all the presents are. They know they're going to get their presents and all that stuff. But there is a piece where, you know, we always love to play the game. Me and Kim take our time, uh, you know, try to get a phone ready to videotape. And people are just waiting, not able to enter the room until we're given the go. I don't know if I could actually say my living room is holy, but it's an area of fellowship on Christmas morning where people are going to enjoy gifts, have a lot of fun time, maybe even eat food during the presents, and just have a great time of fellowship. Well, again, I want to remind us through the Christ child of what it actually means, again in Hebrews, where it says we might now boldly enter into his throne of grace and have fellowship with him. That we have gotten rid of the whole sacrificial system and that I don't have to bring a lamb and I don't have to bring uh, doves and pigeons. I don't have to slaughter a lot of blood. I don't have to worry about whether I'm a Levite or not, if I can even go inside. I don't have to even worry about if I'm a high priest and enter into the holiest of holies with altars sprinkled with blood and all of those wonderful and amazing pictures when Jesus Christ comes as a man and God is fully pleased with him. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, now we have the boldness, boldness to go in through 
His presence, and to all those things that were a picture of fellowship with Him. Amazing. Here in this little verse about the days of her purification, all that's unraveling in this moment. You know, fellowship with the Lord is obviously extremely important. And I think some ways, I just want to remind us, um, as we are talking about things that we might have already heard, at the same time, our fellowship with Him should be changing. A lot like Christmas ourselves. Over time, Christmas probably changes for you. Hopefully, you're getting past the presence, you know. It becomes more than a day. It becomes kind of a season instead of a day. Um, it becomes uh, more than what you can get and maybe what you can um, give. Uh, it turns into more of just actually hanging out with nothing to do because maybe you're on vacation and just enjoying one another. I'm amazed already at sometimes I just uh, remember different stages of what Christmas looked like when I was, you know, a young kid, high school, suddenly there's the college years um, and my brother's coming home, which is now going to be different for Christmas. And then I get married and suddenly I'm in my own apartment with my wife and Christmas looks different. And then you have kids and oh my goodness, you have little three-year-olds and four-year-olds who just can't wait to open up a $3 toy. And all of those things happen. And every single stage is great. Um, every single stage has its meaning but obviously it changes over time and hopefully it gets deeper um, to where now you look forward to simply just being with your loved ones um, maybe some of the traditions of old mean more to you than what they did and maybe now you can actually just you know just simply taking a car ride listening to Christmas music on the radio is far more valuable in your mind than actually getting the best present on that day. And the reason I'm blowing all this stuff up is I want to remind us that that is exactly how our fellowship with Jesus Christ should be. It should no longer be just a day like on Sundays, but it really should be a lifestyle and a season. We really should, instead of saying, hey, Lord, what can you do for me? You start to really be emphasized, and as you grow in your clothes, you say, Lord, what? wait a minute, what can I do for you? And then you realize just simply um, singing a song or just your own quiet time is probably more enjoyable than even the big celebrations of a church event or going to a Christian camp or something like that. That you actually would have just as much fulfillment and joy in your own little five-minute quiet time somewhere on a chair or on a couch that's the beauty of fellowship with Him. And I pray that that happens with all of us as we grow this Christmas season. And remember, your fellowship and your ability or even right to be before the Holy God has all been given to you by Him coming as a baby. The second part would say this, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, consecrated to him. Turn to Exodus chapter 13. 
Exodus chapter 13, we'll start in verse 11. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to, your, to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem it with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And so it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And it shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontless between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Okay, and turn to Numbers chapter 18. Numbers chapter 18, we'll start in verse 15. Everything that first opens the womb of all flesh, which they bring to the Lord, whether man or beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And those redeemed of the devoted things you shall redeem from one month old, according to your valuation, for five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty gerahs. Okay, so here's what it is. The Lord set up something with the whole nation. Remember Egypt. Remember when you were slaves and I rescued you. And in that, I killed every single firstborn male. Gruesome. Remember in Exodus, as it says, that the whales carried throughout the whole country. I can't imagine again, every single household, someone is crying. Every single one. And there's no one that hasn't had a loss to help those with the loss. It is a complete decimation. Every single household has had loss, and every single person is, is just in grief. And the Lord said, I took you, I rescued from your slavery all of that. Now remember, when your firstborn comes, they're mine. Because I didn't take your firstborns. They are mine. All of your livestock, when they have that first one, it's mine. It's mine. And when you have your firstborn sons, they are mine, but you can redeem them. In fact, in Jewish times, it looks something like this. this is what they tell me at least. When a child is 30 days old, the father sends for one of the descendants of Aaron Several persons being assembled on the occasion. The father brings a cup containing several pieces of gold and silver. The priest then takes the child into his arms and addressing himself to the mother says, Is this your son? Yes, the mom would say. Have you ever had another child, male or female, a miscarriage or an untimely birth? No, the mother says. 
This being the case, this child as firstborn belongs to me. Then turning to the father, he says, If it be your desire to have this child, you must redeem it. The father, I present you with this gold and silver for this purpose. You therefore wish to redeem the child. I do wish to do so. That's exactly what could be happening here in Luke chapter 2. Where Joseph and Mary have a priest. And that priest goes, hey Mary, this is your firstborn male. And based on our scripture, he belongs to me. But if you want to redeem him, give me five shekels. Again, my theology today, I don't know. I don't know how this works. To think about just, again, I just stand in awe of the whole thing, that God in the flesh, who is here to redeem us, is presented to a priest as a one-month-old, and they say, hey, he belongs to me, but do you want to redeem him? Isn't that interesting? Consecrated to the Lord as a reminder that he has saved the Jewish people from Egypt. He has brought them out of slavery. And as beautiful as new children are and newness of life and as beautiful as this Christmas season is, where we think about God maybe sometimes as this gentle little baby and we still remember the cross and the death and resurrection, but sometimes we just kind of like to focus on this, this beautiful gentleness. There's always a message of the Lord saying, hey, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, and you need to give me your life. You need to give me your life. We are a people that need absolutely to be redeemed. In Exodus 13, when it was talking about a firstborn child and a donkey, it's interesting. One commentator said this, A pure, unblemished lamb was killed in order for an unclean animal, like the donkey, and the firstborn Israelites to live. That which was pure was killed so that that which was not pure could live. This pattern can clearly be seen in the New Testament as well. The pure, unblemished lamb of God was sacrificed in order to redeem those that were not pure sinners like us. In Luke chapter 1, verse 68, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I read that this morning. That's Zacharias. In Luke chapter 2, 38, Anna the prophetess says, In coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. They were looking for someone to redeem them, to deliver them, as he had done so far in Egypt. But this was a deeper meaning this time. Deliver us from ourselves, from our own sinful nature. And remember in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Amazing. And I can't imagine heaven's perspective of if, if this really did happen, where Joseph and Mary are saying, hey, uh, you know, here's our firstborn. And the priest says, this belongs to me. Do you want to redeem it? Yes, we will buy this child back. Okay? And that, 
The Lord Jesus was the ultimate consecration. He never did anything for himself. His life truly was not his own. It truly wasn't. I always do that which pleased my father. I don't have choice. I obey my father. That's all I do. Even as a child, he is fully consecrated, set apart. This whole system of God reminding the people, you owe me your life. And now Jesus as a man is saying, okay, here I'm consecrated too. Amazing. He's the only one that ever did it. He's the only one that ever walked here on earth fully consecrated, fully saying, my life is not my own. It's not. There is a huge, huge responsibility that we have been bought. And how have we been bought? With blood. With his blood. We were bought. And so we think about this this year in this lovely little holiday time where we say it's more blessed to give than receive. It better be. It better be. We are a saved people bought with blood. We wholly owe it to the Lord to give him whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. Finally, in verse 24, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Turn to the Leviticus chapter 12. Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 8, it says that if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be cleaned. Mary here brings a burnt offering and a sin offering for herself, for herself, because she now has had a child. First of all, I just always love the, you ever just feel inadequate? I mean, maybe it didn't go through her mind. Maybe it didn't go through Joseph's mind. They can't even bring a lamb. They cannot bring a lamb. They're too poor. They're too poor. You would think that maybe they're sitting there going, Lord, you know, we have the Christ child to raise, and we don't have much. Don't have much. God chose to be in that house. He chose to be the one who was born in a house that could only offer two doves instead of a lamb. But there's so much to say about the burnt offering. We won't totally go into it, but remember the burnt offering was to be totally consumed. It really means to ascend up to heaven. What that means was they burnt that burnt offering so much to where the whole thing basically turned into smoke to just rise up to heaven. Remember all the times the word highest is used in the Christmas story. You hear glory to God in the highest. You hear prophet of the highest. She is offering a burnt offering to go up to the highest, yet God has come all the way down and is sitting there with her. I want you to think about that. 
Mary is sitting there with a burnt offering so that this smoke after this sacrifice can go all the way up to heaven, all the way, and yet God is right there with her. The highest coming all the way down. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. To be totally consumed, the burnt offering, that's what Jesus was. He was the burnt offering, totally consumed to make atonement for the people. The other one was the sin offering. You know, Mary's not perfect. She had some sin. And she has to then, even though she bore the Christ child, give a sin offering. Well, I don't know how she really saw herself, except for I have a little bit of a clue of what she thought about God because of Luke chapter 1 in her prayer. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 50, it says this. Well, let's... Let's start in 46. It's so nice. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he, has, he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. I just think it's so amazing that this whole sacrificial system of burnt offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings, um, and there's a few more I'm even forgetting now, but they were all a picture of who God was and all that he would do here on earth and his sacrificial death on the tree. And here's his mother having to obey the law, having to give a sin offering for herself. There's always a reminder in this beautiful picture of, my goodness, this precious little perfect baby, God wrapped in flesh, that sin is always there somehow. And it has ruined all of it. And Mary has to sit there and, and give uh, for herself a sin offering. But I do love verse 50 where she says, His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. And I just love this phrase of generation to generation. I've just been uh, meditating on the fact that God's mercy and loving kindness did not run out with Mary. And in fact, all of his loving kindness is the same for us. A lot of times I still think sometimes we have this idea that somehow God's going to use up too much of his love on us or too much of his grace or too much of his mercy. I was watching a show the other day where it was sad. It, it didn't have a happy ending. It was one of those, you know, doctor shows and there was a guy waiting for a uh, kidney transplant uh, he'd been waiting for a long time he was about to die he had about three months to live and boom they find a kidney transplant and what happened in the show was three days before he had one glass of champagne to celebrate his daughter's uh, graduation and the rule in the hospital was any alcohol and you're done you're not getting a kidney because there's 800 people waiting for a kidney and so I thought, oh, man, how are they going to make this a nice ending? They didn't. Okay. Um, and they, they said right there, the guy goes down to number 800. He's bottom of the list. Bottom of the list for a new kidney. And, and basically, I mean, it didn't show it, but he's basically going to die. 
And so I thought sometimes, you know, maybe when I say these things about God's attributes don't run out, I said, you know what, that probably describes me. I know his attributes don't run out, but sometimes I feel like, well, when I mess up, though, I go to the bottom of the list. Like God's going to give number one a lot, number two. He's going to have some for me at number 800, but there's definitely an order. And if I mess up too much, I go to the bottom. Well, I just want to remind us, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His love has not run out from day one. It hasn't changed at all. It's completely full for you and me. And it's also full for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. And if the Lord hasn't come back by then, our great, 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 and you just keep going. God's attributes of love, mercy, kindness, and faithfulness not going to go down at all. It is there for every single one of us. And even though she has to give a sin offering for her sin, God's going to take care of all of that. I do believe Mary will be in heaven one day, perfect, because of what God has done. And that is a hope for every single one of us. That sin is somehow always there for us, always kind of like in the story, always messing things up. But his mercy is from generation to generation. And because of Jesus Christ being born, dying, buried, and rising again, we have complete access. I hope we just stand in awe again this Christmas season of just some of these things we already know, but that, my goodness, what did it look like from heaven when all this stuff was happening? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being the burnt offering, the sin offering. And Lord, I, I get chills. I don't even know the depth of what that is. I could, uh, you know, quote commentaries and, and uh, even maybe your holy word. But Lord, there is a depth to that. that. The very simple fact that you would become sin for us. That you would become a man for us. Lord, thank you so much for being our great high priest. Thank you so much for being all the offerings for us that we might be able to stand before your Father, holy and forgiven. Thank you so much that you have said, I'm not ashamed to call them my brethren, that we would be related, that we would be heirs, that we would be treated as family, and not some of those weird family members we don't really want to hang out with, but the family that is in the family of God with love, grace, and mercy. Thank you so much for who you are. In your name, amen.